see your goodness towards us in it. And so we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 3, or if you have your phone or tablet, if that's what you prefer to use. Now, uh, maybe you've seen this statistic that says the average adult makes um, about 35,000 somewhat conscious decisions every day. 35,000 somewhat conscious decisions every day. And so if you do the math, over 24 hours, that's a decision every 2.5 seconds, but you're not awake for 24 hours, I hope you're not, um, because you just kind of start going crazy. And so it's like you're making more decisions than every 2.5 seconds. And, and so like your brain is constantly going, making these decisions. And, and maybe for some of us, we go, okay, that explains why when I get in bed at night, I'm just exhausted. Like, I'm, look at all the things I have to decide. Now, some of these decisions, they're small things, and some of them are big ones. So maybe like the first decision is like, how many times do I hit that snooze button in the morning? What do I wear to work today? What are we going to have for dinner tonight? Who's driving the kid to practice? And then there's big decisions. It's, it's like, okay, am I going to start a new career? Do I ask this person to marry me? Are we going to move? And, and so on. There's, there's all these decisions. And every decision carries certain consequences. And, and you don't ever fully know the repercussions of your decision. Like, you know how in those movies that kind of deal with time travel and different timelines where it's like, they're like, be careful what you do, because if you do this, it's going to throw off the timeline, it's going to change the future, or it might change the past and mess everything up. And while we don't necessarily see this when we're making our decisions, the, the reality is that as you make decisions, you are kind of altering the future in some ways. You, you're, you're kind of setting in course a, a series of events that might happen. Now, Here's what I want to lay before you today. If you're a disciple, every day you need to decide if and how you are going to engage with the mission that Jesus gave to his church. Now, what what mission am I talking about? Well, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, Jesus gives what's called the Great Commission. And he says to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So he's going like, I, I hold all authority. That's a big claim. And then he goes, therefore. And so it's like, okay, if he has all authority, what comes next is important, especially for us if we say his, our, we are his disciples. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, As a church, we believe that Jesus' final words on earth, the Great Commission, are of first priority in our church. And and so here's the thing. As disciples, we're called to know Jesus and to make him known in the world. Now, here's, here's what I know. For some of us, when we hear this, our first thought is this. I think the Great Commission is important, but here's the reality. I just don't know if I can go anywhere else. Like if you saw my schedule, you'd be like, yeah, you, you don't have time. And you might be going like, I'm, I'm going to work. I'm, I'm driving the kids to school. I'm going to practices. I've got family commitments. And then there's church commitments and all these things that are, are asking for our time. And so the adding, like the thought of adding another thing to our schedules, I'm like, that, that can feel overwhelming. And if we're honest, we're going like, the only place I want to go right now is actually home 
to bed because I'm so tired, because my schedule's so busy. Now, here's the thing. For some of us, we wrestle with this. We feel this angst, or maybe we feel a bit of a guilt because it's like, I know the Great Commission is important, but I just don't think I can add more to my schedule. And so what I want us to see this morning, though, is that life and Jesus' mission don't have to be competition. They don't have to be like this either-or thing, but they can go hand in hand. And so... temple for the time of prayer, three in the afternoon. A man who was lame from birth was being carried there. He was placed each day at the temple gate called Beautiful, so that he could beg from those entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Peter, along with John, looked straight at him and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, and he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. Now, when we read about guys like Peter and John, we're going, okay, these are big guns in the church in our mind. They're pillars of the early church in Jesus' inner circle of three with the disciples, their names constantly coming up in the New Testament. Uh, they wrote books of the Bible. And so in our minds, it was like, man, here's Peter and John and guys like him, and here's me way down here. Now, what I want us to understand is there's nothing superhuman about Peter and John. Like, we got to be careful that we don't start idolizing or kind of like hero-worshipping some of these guys because that can get in the way of where, what we're called to do. And um, we're going to see this. Now, here's the thing, like, Peter should convince you of this. Because if you look in the, the, the Gospels, like, for, Peter's always almost doing the wrong thing, saying the wrong thing. Has, has Jesus ever said to you, like, get behind me, Satan? No. Well, he did say that to Peter. Like, that's not a very good nickname. You don't want that one. Has the Apostle Paul, like, and you might be going, okay, you're, you're picking on Peter. This is pre-Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes on him. In Acts chapter 2, he's a different guy. Well, let's go later on. Like, Peter does some pretty cool things, but later on, the Apostle Paul has to call him out in front of a group of his peers for not practicing what he's preached. Has that ever happened to you? No. And it's like... I would say is like if the Apostle Paul was around, he'd probably have to call most of us out on that at some point. But like Peter's, Peter's human, and we need to understand that Peter and John in this story, they're human. They're going about their everyday lives. Now, one thing we see in this text is this. When it comes to carrying out Jesus' mission that he's given to his disciples, we don't have to manufacture every opportunity. Like when it comes to taking and, and having this evangelistic moment and sharing our faith or making an impact for the kingdom, it doesn't have to like come as a result of some huge outreach campaign that took a ton of planning and it cost a lot of money for you to be able to present who Jesus is or share who Jesus is with somebody. And so here's, here's what I want us to do is look for everyday opportunities. Look for everyday opportunities. Like Peter and John, they don't leave their house to go make a lame beggar walk. What, what does the text say? They're, they're going up to the temple for prayer. They're going about their normal rhythms and routines, and, and they encounter this man in need of help. And what's kind of interesting is 
Peter and John, they're, they're just going to pray, but this man engages them before they engage with him. Now, Peter and John, here, here's what they don't do. They don't go, oh man, there's a beggar. Uh, let's get to the other side of the street. They, they don't like, just don't look at him, pretend you don't hear him, and, and just walk straight by. Like, they actually engage with this man. They don't see him as an interruption to their plans, but actually they see an opportunity to make a difference in this guy's life. Now, verse 4, it says, Peter looks straight at the man. He looks intently at him. And when, when Peter looks at him, he doesn't just see this guy who's bumming for money. What he sees is somebody who bears the image of God, somebody who Jesus died for and someone Jesus loves. And I'll be honest, there have been times where I come upon what we would say is an opportunity, and I've viewed it as an interruption, where it's like, I don't have time for this. I'm busy. I got to get this thing done, or I've got to go meet this person. Now, this quote here, like, it it gets me every time. It kind of brings me back. Matt Chandler, he wrote this. Remember that everyone you meet is eternal. You have never met someone who will cease to exist one day. Like, we kind of put people into just, like, categories. And just, like, this is the person who does this for me. And we don't think of them more than that. But what he's kind of getting at is like this. The person who rings your groceries through, your barista, your hairdresser, your barber, the, the, the guy who collects your garbage, your coworker, that annoying neighbor who takes your stuff and never returns it. That, like, these people, that, that, that guy who you pass every day walking on the street and he's holding out the cup, these people have a soul that is going to live for eternity. And scripture says it's either going to be with God in heaven, enjoying his goodness and relationship with him, or it's apart from him, apart from his goodness, apart from relationship with him, which scripture calls hell. And so we have to keep this in mind that, that in these opportunities that we have as we encountered help people, we're dealing with somebody who is precious to God, somebody who Jesus died for. And how we decide to respond to a person, the the reality is, like, it could push this person closer to Jesus. Or sometimes it can actually push them further away. Now, Peter and John, they've apparently left home without their wallets, I think they were going to try and make the other guy buy supper that night and just like leave it at home. He's paying the bill, but they didn't coordinate. And so they don't have uh, silver or gold to give this man who is begging. But what does Peter do? He gives what he has. He tells this guy to get up and walk, and, and the guy actually does it. Now, like when a guy like Peter or maybe the Apostle Paul would go and do a hospital visit, Like, it goes drastically different than when myself or Greg go and do do a hospital visit. Like, if we've ever visited you in the hospital, here's how it goes. Usually it's like, how are you doing? What's what's kind of going on? Is there something we can be praying for aside from kind of healing? Now, we will pray for you and ask God for healing. We believe that God is able to heal and will ask for it. But we also recognize that many times God chooses to work through everyday medicine, the good gift of, of, of health care and technology and science. Now, what often happens is we finish praying, and then we leave, and you stay. And we continue to pray for you, asking for healing. 
when Peter, or again, the Apostle Paul shows up, chances are you're getting discharged that day. It's like they pray for you, and you're like, I feel much better. <laughs> like, I'm going home with you. That, that's often how it would, would work. Now, here's what we have to understand. This is an apostolic miracle of healing. And Peter says, what I do have, I give you. And it's not that Peter's saying, like, I have the power to heal you within my own willpower, within my own power, it's not by his power that the man is healed. It's the, the will of God. It is the power of God working through Peter to heal this man. Now, at the end of the Great Commission, we quoted this. What did Jesus say? Surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. In John chapter 14, Jesus says to, like, as he's praying, he's like, the Holy Spirit, the counselor, is going to be with you. Now, when you, you look at the book of Acts, like keep this in mind, as you look in the book of Acts, maybe your title says something like this, the Acts of the Apostles. But it could probably be better titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it's the Spirit who is at work in these situations. He's bringing about the, the healing and doing these mighty acts and mighty good works. And so, what we don't read here in Acts chapter 3, but we should recognize, is that the Holy Spirit is at work here, prompting Peter to heal this man in Jesus' name. Like, this isn't something that Peter scheduled. It's not staged um, as a healing or a miracle. This is the Spirit guiding Peter in the moment, and Peter's listening to the Spirit's guidance. And so please understand, like, the, the point of this is not that, like, you're going to be out wandering around. It's like, ah, oh, here's somebody in a wheelchair, and the Spirit's going to be like, okay, you need to heal this person, and they're going to get be healed, and they're going to be up and walking. Like, that's not the point. That's not where I'm going at with this. What I want us to see is this. We can listen to the Spirit's promptings in our lives as well. The Spirit will prompt you. I, I truly believe this. Like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. And so what, what this is saying is that God has created, he has prepared good works for us to do that are going to bring him glory. And so here's what we need to do is when we encounter these opportunities for good works, we have to decide, am I going to engage with them or not? And so the same Holy Spirit who guided the apostles in these moments, we, we need to understand this as disciples, is the same Holy Spirit that is there to guide us today. He still leads us today. And here's the, I, I believe that the Spirit will be prompting us to do something as we go about our lives, but we're, we're doubting it, whether it's from the Spirit. And, and we might be going like, I don't know. Even though what we're being led to do, is, it, it, it doesn't violate Scripture. It's not sinful. In fact, it would be the loving thing to do. But inside, we're going, okay, is this from God, or is this just something I, I came up with? I've got this weird feeling I'm supposed to do it, but maybe I ate something bad. Like, I just got to lay off the Taco Bell for a while, because it just messes with my head and system. Like, we, we doubt it, and we, we try to dismiss these promptings as something other than God. Because when we feel God is calling us to do something, we often pro procrastinate, and we have this, this inner conversation, and we're going like, I don't know if I'm gifted enough. I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I know enough. I don't know if I have enough. I don't know if I'm holy enough to be used by God. 
But maybe there's even this. Instead of listening to God, we're listening to our enemy who likes to remind us of our limitations, our mistakes, and our failures. Now, we looked at this in the Ephesians series. Like, Satan's not going to do anything that's going to encourage you to go and do what, what, what is in God's will. Like, his goal is to take you out of the fight. And so we need to recognize where things might be coming from. And, and so here, here's the thing. It's like, it's not about you. It's not about your power, but it's the power of God working through you for his glory and to change people's lives. And if you believe otherwise, like look at, the pow- look at the Gospels, look at the book of Acts. Like Peter, again, God can use a guy like Peter. Why can't he use a guy like you? He can take a guy with a history like the Apostle Paul's where he's putting Christians to death, trying to shut down churches, and he uses him to then establish churches and write huge chunks of the New Testament. Why can't God use somebody like you? And in fact, God likes to kind of use people who have some brokenness and some rough history because it shows his power and what he can do through somebody's life. And so if you've ignored promptings or blatant opportunities to help people in the past, I just want you to, like, don't beat yourself up about it. Don't dwell on that. Because, like, this is probably not the first time that Peter and John encounter this beggar. Like, this guy's placed at the the gate every day begging for money. Peter and John, good Jewish men, like, going up to the temple to pray every day. Chances are they've encountered this guy before, However, today is the day they take the opportunity to help him. And so here, here's where I'm going. Like, you're, tomorrow you're going to encounter opportunities to help people. And you're going to encounter opportunities every day to help people in the name of Jesus. And when you do, you give what you can. Like most of us, again, we're not, pretty much none of us are going to go up to somebody and be like, walk, and they will. That's not what's going to happen. But here's the thing. What we, what we can do is we can give what we have. Like, maybe we do have silver or gold to give somebody. And so what you do in the name of Jesus might be as simple as putting coins in a cup. It might be buying somebody a hot meal. It might be simply words of encouragement or just saying, can like, I pray for you right now. could be bringing a meal over during a difficult time, providing somebody with a gift card, or, or bringing somebody into your home to live with you during a difficult season. Now, preachers will often quote Francis of Assisi. And he's the guy who said this, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And and so the idea behind this quote is that, like, the the best sermons are often unspoken. That if we live our lives um, with integrity and consistently by Christian standards, and we live joyfully and and happily, people are, are going to look at our lives and be like, please tell me about your Savior, because I want to accept him as well. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I think the idea is good, but, but the reality here is like we as Christians tend to like that quote because we feel like it's going to get us off the hook from having to talk to somebody about Jesus and have that awkward kind of, oh, you're religious um, conversation with them. And, and as Christians, like I, I get it, I get it, but Peter he says what he does when he, he heals this man. He says, I do this in the name of Jesus Christ. Like there's, Jesus' name is attached to what he does. And we're more than philanthropists as the church. We're, we're, we're not just trying to make the world a better place. We're not Boy Scouts who are going, okay, I got to do my daily good deed. 
Like we are Jesus' disciples who are called to make more disciples. And Jesus is the reason for our convictions. Now Romans chapter 10 verse 17, it says, Faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard comes through the message about Christ. So let's just like be honest. It's very unreasonable that somebody's going to believe in Jesus if they've not heard the message about Jesus. Like, like that just, we know that doesn't really work. Now, again, I know that a lot of us are thinking like, okay, if I go around doing good works and doing them in Jesus's name and talking about Jesus to people, it's going to be awkward. People are going to think I'm weird. And let's, again, we'll be honest here. Probably. It probably will be awkward. But, but here's the thing. Like, what does Jesus say to his disciples? You are salt. You are light. And these are things that are contrast against like what they're in. Light stands out in darkness. Salt kind of stands out in food. It, it brings out the goodness. And so there is this necessity that we're going to stand out in some ways. Now, I'm not saying we intentionally have to be weird as we go about having these conversations. Like, as, as you do everything, like, it's like, you hold the door for somebody, you're not going to be like, say, do you know the good news about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? No? Well, let me herald that good news to you so that you might repent of your sins and believe in his name and, and your pagan days can be left behind you and you might come into the family of God and enjoy the brotherhood and the sisterhood that is known. Hallelujah, praise God. Like, I'm not saying you're going to be intentionally awkward and weird. But I'm saying, take those opportunities. And again, it, it, you're going, it's going to be awkward. What do I say? I, I would go as simple as this. You're putting coins in somebody's cup? Jesus loves you. That coworker that you're helping out or whatever, make that invitation. Like, if you have any questions about my faith or you want to talk about it, just make yourself available. But here's what I would say don't do. Don't pre-script the conversation and how it's going to go in your head because you're probably not going to get it right. And so what I would say is this, before you engage in the opportunity in helping somebody, just say a quick prayer like, God, please give me the words I need to, as I speak with this person, as I, as, I, as I help them in Jesus' name. Because here's the thing, Jesus, what does he say? In, in the end of Matthew 28, I'm with you always. He's promised to be with us. So if he's with us at all times, in all situations, in all places, why isn't he able to provide us with the words that we will need? And so we should, we should trust that promise and make use of it. Now, Acts chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. It says, All the people saw him walking and praising God. So this is, this is the man who's been healed. And they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. So they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. While he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astonished, ran toward them in what is called Solomon's Colonnade. When people saw this, he addressed the people. Fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? And so imagine... Everybody's going 
into the temple quietly, reverently. We're going about serious religious business. We're going to pray. And then there's this guy that's like dancing and shouting and, and praising God. Like, of course, that's going to attract your attention. And so the crowd begins to gather because they're going like, I recognize that guy. That's a guy. For years, he's the guy who's at the temple gate begging me for money. He gets carried there every day. And he's, he's up and he's dancing and he's shouting. And so the crowd gathers. And, and Peter looks and he can see the question that is on ever, everybody's face. And he takes the opportunity to answer it. And he preaches Jesus. He preaches Christ crucified, Christ risen and glorified by his Father. And so here's what we see. Opportunities taken often lead to more opportunities to share our faith. Like helping one man led to the opportunity to preach the gospel to many people. In Acts chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, Many, so not all, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So a lot of scholars will say, like, on that day, Peter preaches, and, and like, there's huge growth in the church at this moment. Some people go, like, it might actually have doubled in size that day. Now, as a preacher, I would love to be able to say, I preached a sermon, and I doubled the church in a day. I've heard of some church planners who, who said, like, I had two guys in church, I preached, the next week there were four, and they've been able to brag about that, but that's just not, that's not normal, where we, we preach this, and it's like, ah, huge growth. Now, here's the thing. Every time we share our faith, it doesn't automatically mean somebody's going to believe, repent, and be baptized. But here's the thing. It doesn't mean we've failed. Every time we share our faith with somebody, it doesn't mean that they're going to believe, repent, and be baptized, but it doesn't mean that we failed. Like a few weeks ago, I had the privilege to baptize Lenta Marie Martin here at uh, the church. And, and sometimes when we see somebody who's, who's baptizing people, we tend to give that person a lot of credit. We kind of go like, oh, look, they've led another person to the Lord. They're baptizing another person. Look at their numbers this year. Seems to be good. It's going to be a good season for them. And we kind of get down ourselves because we might be going like, oh, my Great Commission stats just don't look so good when I compare it to that person. It's like, I'll never be used by God. Look how he's using them, and I can't be used. Now, here's what I'm saying. Like, we should not think this way. In the church in Corinth, um, there were people who were arguing about who they followed, like which kind of leader they followed. And so some people are going like, ah, I follow Apollos. Uh, have you heard this guy preach? Man, he's, he's a powerful preacher. He brings it when he comes. And then others are like, yeah, Apollos is cool and all, but Paul, man, Paul, he healed my uncle. What a guy. I follow Paul. And so you have kind of people are going back and forth who they follow. And Paul writes because it's creating problems. In 1 Corinthians chapter um, 3, verses 5 to 9, Paul writes this. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers, you are God's field, God's building. Now when Lenta asked me to baptize her, I was happy to do this. But what we have to realize and see the reality of is that others have planted and others have watered there. 
Like, for, for example, like, Lenta's family spent countless hours, countless hours sharing the truths of God's word and praying with her and praying for her and, and the friends of the family even involved in that. Lenta attends our Glow Kids program downstairs regularly. She's attended our va- vacation Bible school programs. And so like we have teachers and helpers who've, who've poured into Lenta's life. Peter Boyer, one of our elders, was out there talking about what it means to accept Jesus Christ and, and become a disciple. He's invested there. I would say like, man, even if you help support the mission and work of Halifax Christian Church financially and and like even serving and welcoming people here and creating this environment, you've helped play a role in this. Some plant, some water, but God brings the growth. And we want to see as many people as possible surrender their lives to Jesus Christ, not so that we can have a massive church and brag about it. Like what we see is like the the larger churches get, the more complex it gets, the the more difficult it actually gets. But we we won't stop wanting this because what does scripture say? Like when Lenta gave her life to Jesus Christ, the, the angels threw a party. This child has come home to be with God, their father. That eternity has been changed because she's repented and believed. And this was a team effort. And, and chances are, like this pattern of planting and watering, it happens over and over again. And if, this, if you're a Christian, that's, that's your story. Somebody planted seeds of faith. Other people watered, and eventually somebody harvested after God brought the growth. So I want you to understand that every time you engage somebody in the name of Jesus Christ, you're actually helping to carry out the Great Commission Now, in in, uh, Matthew 13, Jesus tells a story of a farmer. He goes out to plant seed, and the seed falls on four different types of soil, and um, these types of soil represent kind of the human heart. So the first soil that it falls onto is packed down. It's like a path. The birds of the air come take it away. It doesn't put down roots. So no faith, no belief. The second type of soil, like it, it springs up quickly, the, the seeds, but, but then weeds kind of grow up alongside it, the cares and worries of the world, and it chokes out that belief or faith. And then there's some seeds that fall on rocky soil, representing a heart. And it's kind of like this, like again, it springs up quickly, but it doesn't put down roots. And so the sun uh, comes, representing persecution and, and hardships for your faith faith, and that faith withers and dies. It doesn't last, but then Jesus says there's good soil where that that seed, it puts down deep roots, and it's nourished, and it grows, and it produces fruit. Now, if Greg were preaching this message, this is where we would get a story about growing up on the family farm in Hazel Grove, PEI, and when it was time to plant seeds, and we'd get that story. Now, I don't have that farm experience, so here's what you get. What the internet has taught me about um, uh, farming and planting seeds and all of that. Now, here's the thing. A skilled farmer, when they're planting their seeds, they're very careful to make sure that good seed gets into the proper soil. They want to be efficient about it. You don't want to waste the seeds because you want the maximum amount of yield. But what's happening in this story? Like, this farmer's out with his seeds. He's just like... Just like, not, not even paying it, like he's just throwing it everywhere, indiscriminately. And we go, man, that, that, that's not a good farming practice because it's wasteful, but it's actually a great faith practice. It's a great faith practice. Why? 
Because we don't know who's going to believe and who will not believe. We don't know what type of soil that that word or, or the seed is going to fall into. And part of the application is to take that message and throw it everywhere. Because you, you again, you're not omnipotent. You don't know who will believe and who won't believe. And so don't be stingy about the gospel. Throw it out every chance that you get. And like I've, I've done my fair share of youth ministry and camp ministry. I've been in full-time ministry for 12 years. So I've got some experience under my belt. And here's the thing. Like, you, you just don't know. Like there's been times where um, uh, some youth, uh, it's like if you had asked me, like in 10 years, is this youth going to still be in the church and involved and serious about their faith? I wouldn't be happy to say it, but I'd go like, if I have to wager a guess, probably not. I, I just, like, I, don't, I don't have a lot of hope for it. I'm just kind of looking at what's going on in their life. And then fast forward 10 years, I've been proven wrong, and they're, they're, they're serious about their faith, and they're involved, and, and they're, they're helping to lead others and make disciples. I mean, I could point to some people in this church that that is true about. But then there's other times where there's been youth or people who are on fire for Jesus, and man, I'm going like, they're in this for, for life, and they're going to they're going to do great things for the kingdom. I just can't wait to see how God is going to use their life. And then 10 years later, they have nothing to do with it. They've, they've walked away. And as Jesus says, the, the weeds grew up, the worries and the cares of this world, or, or maybe just some hardship or, or just a little bit of resistance for their faith. And, and they walked away. And I've, I've been surprised at times by those who've stuck with the faith and saddened many times by those who haven't. Now, here's, here's what I would say. is like when it looks like somebody might be have gone, we don't stop praying for them. We're always praying. We're always hopeful for the prodigal. Jesus tells that story for a reason. But what I'm getting at as I wind up is this, is the reality is that as we engage people in the name of Jesus, you don't know if you're planting seeds for the first time or watering what's already been planted. But God can use that to bring growth. Like very few of us are ever going to stand on a stage and preach a message. Very few of us are going to take up a microphone and sing worship or, or go through training and travel across the world to be a missionary. Very few of us will do that. But here's the thing. God is still calling you to take those everyday opportunities that you have to show people the love and hope that is found in Jesus Christ and when you do, you're, you're casting gospel seeds or you're watering what might already be there. You're partnering with God as he saves people.